you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I don't know if Darren has given up on nuance uh, today, but pretty, pretty soon before worship was to start, he said, you know, if, if we were another church, you could get up there at the sermon time and say, well, the scripture readings have been great and, and the music's been incredible, so we can just go home. So I, I don't know if he wants me to preach shorter or not, pre- not preach at all, but there, there is some truth to that idea. I mean, the, the scripture readings for this Sunday are uh, profound and powerful, and I've not told you what a blessing Jacob is enough. Um, we've, we've bragged on Rachel a bunch, but with Rachel came Jacob, who is just incredible uh, and, and a blessing through a season that's been hard to find blessings. Um, what a gift. Thank you. Um, I am going to preach. It's going to be short, though. I, I've got a clock going and I think I can say what I need to say quickly. Um, uh, for most of you, I hope you get the weekly email, and you know that I've been in North Carolina for the best, last about week and a half. Um, my father's been sick for a couple years. Um, we had kind of a rallying time, and then I got pretty good and sick, and has been on chemo for about six months trying to uh, fight this thing. It's not cancer, but it's like cancer, and it's uh, been damaging his organs, and he's taken a pretty sharp turn over the last couple weeks. Um, his uh, heart is failing, a number of organs are failing, and so we uh, spent the last about 10 days figuring out what, what we're going to do as a family, and uh, uh, lots of logistics and fervent prayer. We, we were able to get him into the willows here in town on Thursday night um, to kind of live out this last period of time. The doctors have told us weeks to months. That is a very un- unhelpful timeline for me, but I know why they say it, uh, because they don't know any more than weeks to months. Um, and so... Uh, I've just been in this deep time of reflection on who my dad is and what my family is. Uh, It's been, you know, 10 days of logistics. We try to get the house listed, 10 days of trying to find a room, but 10 days of thinking what my family is. And I've told you enough in sermons that that my dad and I had this, like, weird life experience together. We irritated the mess out of each other most of our lives. Uh, I remember my mother, like, banging her hand on the table. I'm tired of you two fighting all the time. Um, we, we uh, something about the way we just uh, kind of rubbed each other was always uh, a little bit off. And so growing up, I thought, man, my dad is just harsh. He's this ex-Marine, and you're never an ex-Marine. You're a retired Marine. Sorry. He's this retired Marine, and he's just always on me. But there's something about getting uh, decades down the road and looking back uh, to see what kind of father he was. And yes, he was, he was uh, rigid. And yes, he was particular about what he thought we should do. But he was also incredibly loving. He was incredibly present. Um, he was uh, a, a Marine Corps bomber pilot who uh, was forced into retirement because of a, uh, a disability and uh, became a homemaker. He... Um, he would spend hours in prayer even when he felt like God wasn't hearing or responding. He had the, the navigator's topical memory system where he would uh, memorize all these scriptures and always had one that as a kid felt like at the wrong time, right? Like, children, don't exasperate your parents. 
Come on, really? There's also one there that says, parents, don't exasperate your children. Um, but he was this model of piety for me, of someone who knew that he was imperfect, uh, but still sought the face of God. Um, my mother was probably the one I felt closer to as a kid, uh, but in uh, looking back, the way that he uh, played a role in shaping me to be the person whom I am today is uh, immeasurable. Um, and it's been tender and holy moments to sit in a room with him and tell him that over the last week and to say, uh, sorry, I was a jerk as a kid and I didn't understand you. And he's able to say things like, I'm sorry, I was a jerk when you were a kid. And, uh, I've learned a lot about grace as I've gotten older. Um, it was a chance for me and my sister to reflect on our relationship. She uh, is five years, 364 days older than me. Uh, and they sent her to school the first day she could go, and they held me back till the last day I could go. So by the time she was, uh, I was in middle school, she was in college, off doing her thing. We didn't have that childhood, like, getting to know each other. And uh, we've, I see some head shaking over there. Y'all know, uh, we've, we've had kind of friction a lot of our lives. And, and even as adults, uh, she's wanting to do her things her way. I want to do things my way whenever that she visits. My kids are a handful. Any of you who have met them in the gathering hall knows that they're, they're a lot. Um, and, and we'd have all this, uh, this friction. And yet, as we've begun to reflect on what it means to be dad's kids, uh, we've had some of the most sweet and tender moments to, to reflect on what it is that does unite us and, and where we can find this, uh, this holy love for each other and for dad. It's pushed me to think more broadly about family and, and what uh, it actually is. Um, you know, there is uh, as many types of families uh, as there are people. There is no uh, one thing. This American uh, dream of, you know, wife, husband, two kids, white picket fence, and a puppy uh, is utopic and ideal, but there's hardly any of those, right? Families are just different, and we're messy. We're full of people who... Uh, even when we're trying to strive after perfection, are imperfect people who are experiencing God's sanctification, who are uh, learning what it means to live out uh, our lives with each other. Um, and it's, it's forced me into Scripture in a weird way um, as I'm watching my father die, uh, as I'm reflecting on my life, to look at Scripture and say, what is it saying about families and what does it mean to be uh, the people of God throughout its witness? And this week's text just invite us into this reflection on family. Um, our story starts in 1 Samuel chapter 2 this week, the story of uh, Samuel, who is now an older boy. We've uh, read earlier in the year about when Hannah prayed to God. They thought she was drunk, but she was actually just praying really hard. I want a baby. Give me a baby, and I'll give him back to you. And Samuel is now working for Eli the priest. Uh, he's a, a young, young boy, young man, somewhere in that range, uh, doing the work of temple management. Um, and he's got these kind of like stepbrothers, step apprentices who are Eli's sons, and they're a little bit older. They're doing their uh, priestly duty. And, and we begin to get this picture of Eli's family. Eli is the priest and judge of Israel. Uh, this is a family that should be holy if any family was holy. And Eli has these moments where he, he seems like he understands what he should be doing. He, he recognizes God's presence, even in the, the Samuel story when he's young, this, this voice calling to him. In, in today's text, he recognized some of the problems of his sons. You're, you're, you're desecrating the temple with this sexual activity outside. You shouldn't be doing that. 
And yet the part that the lectionary skips is the rest of the story where uh, he allows his son's complicity to kind of shape and form him. Uh, the, the priests get a portion of the sacrificial food uh, to kind of sustain them, but his sons have figured out the system that, okay, maybe we shouldn't keep the ground beef, we should keep the filet. And so we're going to take the good stuff for ourselves, and we'll take, we'll take the other junk and go burn it. And, and the text says that Eli lets them get away with this, and that he begins to be fattened by the choice cuts of meat. This one who should be the very voice of God for Israel uh, has this, this kind of broken family that um, is in some ways trying hard and in some ways just giving in to what feels good. And it's clearly a literary foil for the person of Samuel. If Eli's uh, biological sons are problematic, Eli's grafted in, adopted son Samuel is perfect. He is the bee's knees. He is uh, the star pupil in the priestly academy. His, his life is uh, determined before he's ever uh, got any agency of his own. His mother gives him over to God and to the service of the temple. And even though she does that, she stays committed to him. She's got this weird family now. She's got uh, a husband who has other wives who've got older kids. She's got Samuel, who's now in the temple, and she's got three other sons and two daughters, and she's managing this whole thing. And yet every year she makes the new priestly garment for Samuel and brings it to the temple to, to kind of renew her commitment to, uh, to love him in whatever way this family looks. And so Samuel, uh, filled with God's spirit and uh, kind of built up uh, by a mother who is kind of forcing him into continued um, fidelity to their joint commitment becomes Israel's priest and judge. He becomes one of the very few people in Scripture that is completely virtuous. When I was growing up, Scripture was full of those people who uh, you thought were good, right? But now that I'm like rereading it as an adult, I'm like, no, it's actually full of people who are terrible. They make as many mistakes as I do. Samuel's one of the ones who doesn't. Samuel and his, frankly, his mother Hannah are like the models of virtue and good. And even with that, uh, Samuel's sons fell at the job too. They, uh, despite having an incredible dad, uh, they start messing around with the offerings too. Um, and Israel begins to, begins to recognize the problem of the system and actually begins to demand a king. Um, and so Samuel's role changes to now to prophet and judge, to speak uh, a word of truth to Israel on God's behalf. He becomes the very bearer of God's presence in the world to, to kind of uh, unite them around what is going to happen. Uh, the, the rabbis write about Samuel in this time as the tikkun alam. It's this restoration of the world where God and humanity come together and things begin to look a little more like they were supposed to. And then the story keeps going. We have... Uh, family after family where someone is good. We finally have a good king, and then their kid is terrible. And then we have a terrible king and a terrible king and a terrible king, and somehow they give birth to a good king. And this just keeps on going. We go through the exile, and we get to the time of Christ, and Christ is born. Uh, in the lectionary, we move really quickly. Y'all were here two nights ago when baby Jesus was in a manger, right? Today he is 12 years old in the lectionary cycle. We have skipped forward because in two weeks it's baptism of the Lord Sunday. So we got to book it through Jesus' story uh, kind of in between. So this week, 12-year-old uh, preteen Jesus. 
uh, is reframing even family for us. They've come to celebrate the Passover in Jerusalem. His family starts to head out of town, and as Home Alone would let us know, they leave a kid behind. Uh, Except for this one doesn't have two robbers as the foil. It has the synagogue officials, those leaders of the law who are sitting with Jesus, and he's asking them questions, and they're asking him questions. And this this is not unusual. This is what 12-year-old boys in Israel are supposed to do. 12-year-old boys are supposed to to memorize the Torah and to sit with rabbis, and and they're not going to learn by doing rote memory. They're going to ask questions back and forth. And uh, one of the ways you're going to know this kid is wise is if they ask good questions. And the text says that Jesus asked good questions. So what what does it mean to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Well, what does it mean to love your neighbor? But Jesus' biological parents, his, his birth mother, his uh, adopted father, don't get it. They, they realize they've left him behind. They do everything they can. John Candy is not in a truck on this one. They're probably back on their donkeys, headed back to Jerusalem to find Jesus in the temple. We can't believe you, you left us behind. We can't believe we lost you. We were worried. Don't worry about me. Didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? No truer words have been spoken, but imagine that feeling for this mother and father, for Joseph and for Mary, that this family is already beginning to be redefined. And even at 12, Jesus is uh, reshaping what family means. And we know that he is the embodiment of Tukun Alam, this restoration of the world where God and humanity come together in ways that begin to glimpse back to what the world was meant to be and to point forward to what it is to be. The story is going to speed out through this. We're going to quickly go from here to his baptism, to his uh, understanding of his calling, to his life, his death, his ministry, or his uh, resurrection. And then the lectionary texts give us a picture of another family. They're not explicit, but what they're inviting us into is to consider the church as the family of God. Uh, For all of the churches talk about the centrality of the family, uh, the early scriptural witness is that the family is secondary to the body of Christ. Jesus says, uh, these are your mothers and these are your brothers, these are your children, these are uh, who your family is. Most of the early church thought Jesus was coming soon, so let's be celibate, let's not have kids, let's live together as a community of faith. If you can't handle it, fine, get married, but really the church is your new family. The church, through the Spirit, is this new tikkun alam, this new restoration of creation, this place where God and humanity meet together and point us back to what the world should be and point us forward to what it will be. How we live as a family is in that text that Sarah read us today. Therefore, is God's choice holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, a peace into which you were called in one body. And be thankful, people. The word of Christ must live in you richly. Teach and warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. 
Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God the Father through him. In a week that I'm profoundly grateful for my biological family, I'm profoundly grateful for the body of Christ across the world, and in particular the body of Christ at uh, 3801 Polo Club Boulevard. Um, I tend to deal with uh, my sadness and frustration by to-do lists, and I championed them this week, y'all. I got a house uh, ready to list in seven days. I got my father moved to Kentucky. Uh, I did lots of checklists, but you know the thing that sustained me was not that... It was the texts and the calls and the messages, the questions of how can we love you and how can we help you? How can we pray for you? The people of Andover, this uh, local expression of the family of God, you are the tikkun alam, this restoration of all of creation happening in and through you that points us back to what was to be and points us forward to what will be. You uh, are my family in no less of a way than Donald Foster or Allison Foster, no less than Nancy Foster was, and uh, no less than my wife and kids. You are, uh, you are God's beloved who are beloved to me. And in a world where... Um, where we're truly looking beyond this, uh, this false picture of how everyone should be and what everything should be. We're full of a world who needs a family. This family that Jesus pointed his biological family to. This family that has been here for me. A family who uh, loves and surrounds one another with a community of love and support. Who embodies these things that Sarah read us. Who uh, is full of boundless compassion. Who are full of... Uh, tenderness and mercy who love deeply you know we've we faced enough death at Andover over the last year two years um, and so often I've heard uh, if I didn't have my church family I don't know how I would have gotten through it I don't know how people go through this without hope Friends, I am sustained by your hope, and I hope that in your grief and lament, and, and wherever you find yourself, you find that this body of Christ is for you at Tukum Alam. I pray that God's Spirit uh, unites your heart together with this community, and that we're then sent forth, uh, united together to go and be that love and light for the world. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, the picture you give us in Scripture of what it means to be uh, truly human is uh, multifaceted and varied. Um, we see uh, so often that the families pictured are uh, imperfect and have uh, issues. And yet at every turn, the place where there is good, uh, there is you. That no matter what the structure or what the relationship uh, where a heart is inclined to you, there's flourishing. And so, Lord, incline our hearts to you. Fill us with your spirit. Shape and form us in ways that we might be for the world, uh, your body, and that we might be for each other, your family. 
We love you and praise you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.